Welcome, one and all, to the Film Harmonic with your hosts, Noah East and Andy Ferguson. In episode 64, we will not be discussing the legacy of the Nintendo 64 and the rabid fan base of games like Wave Race. Instead, we will give our takes on the new film of the week, the third installment in a beloved comedy franchise. We're talking Bill and Ted Face the Music. And in our pick six segment, we'll rank the six best child performances of all time. We've been tasked to pick from a list of newcomers who turned in impressive performances from the qualifying ages of 14 years or younger. Leading us into the throwback challenge to close out the show, in which the Criterion channel came in handy yet again. This go-round, it was a first-time watch for both of us of the 1953 classic Tokyo Story, directed by Yasujiro Ozu. So... Andy, the big news over the weekend, not just in our corner of the world, but everywhere, was the passing of Chadwick Boseman at the tragically early age of 43. Yeah. Uh, another week, another bad bit of news in 2020. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is, this was, uh, I think this caught everyone off guard because no one really knew what he was going through with colon cancer and the, the, the severity of it. He'd been filming some major Hollywood movies through this whole experience. Yeah, through treatment and everything. Yeah. It became stage four recently, I guess. It was stage three for so long. But that is uh, 43, man. And the guy was just now becoming something really big. And that's not a whole lot older than you and I. You know what I mean? Like It's it kinda, scary, man. It kind of yeah. puts your life into perspective a little bit. And that's, I mean, uh, he's an actor that that uh, neither of us have seen a whole lot of his, mm-hmm. of his stuff. But part of that's because... He didn't have a whole big body of work. He's been a big movie star for maybe five years. Yeah, exactly. And he's been a, he's been, he's had some good roles over the last maybe seven, but yeah, that's breaking in pretty late. Yeah. And, and you know, what I have seen of him, both his, his acting work and like in interviews and stuff, I found him to be a really, really thoughtful, charismatic, charming, and really just cool guy, you know? Yeah. And everything I've seen of him as well. It's just like, wow, this guy handles himself really well. And to think now when you look at it, like this entire time he was dealing with like an excruciating illness. Yeah. That kind of makes him even more heroic. It's pretty um, amazing for a guy who's, who's a genuine hero to a lot of people. There's been so like a big outpouring from the industry the last few days of just people who have worked with him, people who knew him really well, speaking nothing but, you know, glowing things about him. So this is a, this is a bummer. It really is. Yeah. We lost a good one. Gone, gone too soon. Yeah, absolutely. We will begin this week with a new film from director Dean Parasote, and it is an end cap to a film trilogy nearly 30 years since its second installment. Uh, most all of the original stars are back, including Keanu Reeves, whose career was launched into orbit by the franchise, and it hit theaters and VOD this weekend. Let's discuss Bill and Ted Face the Music. Bill and Ted Face the Music. Bill and Ted Face the Music, a long time coming for this one. Uh, it's been in development for a while. I think we first, I mean, I first heard about it, it's, a, it's more than a couple of years ago. I mean, and I think uh, reading into it a little bit more, this has been something on the radar for these guys for more than just a few years. The last 10 years or so, this has been in development in some sort of way. Uh, it's interesting because 
not only do you have, you know, Winter and Reeves back, but you have the original writers of the other films, which is good. I think that bodes well because there's a lot of speculation here. Like, is this going to be worth it? This has been so long. Can they really make a third installment work? Um, and you know, uh, what they do here <laughs> is, you know, immediately introduce these guys as fathers, middle-aged dudes. And you know, they haven't really gotten much further in their life. <laughs> they're kind of the same dudes. Yeah, they're in a state of, stage of arrested development, you know? They are. Um, they still feel like they have a destiny to do one thing, which is make the ultimate rock song. <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of endearing at first, to be honest. Yeah, uh, they're, they're, um, kids have grown up to be pretty much just like them. Yeah. Their marriages are uh, on the rocks, uh, unbeknownst to them, and maybe even unbeknownst to their wives. <laughs> yeah, I, th- that whole situation, I got to be honest, I wish they did more with. I'll just say up front, that would have been awesome because um, there's some fun people in these roles. Yeah, and they don't give the wives hardly any time to it's really do anything. It's a know? bummer because one of the wives, uh, the wife of Ted is played by Aaron Hayes, who is a very big um, uh, David Wayne universe actress. I'm a huge fan of her. She's really comedically like talented and they just don't give her a whole lot to do, which is unfortunate. She's still fun in this movie, but um, even the daughters uh, who become more important characters as this movie goes along. uh, Again, I really wish they would have had more to do, but we can get into that in a little bit here. Um, Basically, this movie is uh, a very simple premise. You know, these guys are given by so so so. Uh, Kristen Shaw plays a character who is the daughter of the original uh, George Carlin character, Rufus. Rufus, yes, and obviously he's gone. So um, uh, she basically takes the place, the same character almost, just as daughter, and. Um, she comes to the present time to let them know that they have all but what? 77 minutes. 77 minutes and change, some seconds, Yeah. to write the perfect song to save humanity. And, of course, what does that do to them? That gets their... They're just running in circles thinking of how they're going to do this. And, you know, they're not the smartest dudes and tools in the shed. And uh, they immediately think, well, dude, let's... uh." Let's go find ourselves. Let's go to the future where we all, we've already. Surely we made the song. Yeah. You know, yeah, we're yeah. fine. We'll find it. Take the song. <laughs> so that's where it goes from there. They have their separate journey and then their daughters have another journey as well. Um, so really what it, what you have to do here and, and the, the effect of the movie, the, if it's going to be good or bad in this third installment, it doesn't have to be great. It just has to be, infectious enough are these guys having a good time doing playing these roles again for the first time in 29 years and i think for the most part i think i really it kind of radiated off the screen for me keanu and alex winter both have a blast in these roles and keanu doesn't have to be here let's be honest he's here but he's having a good time keanu Keanu doesn't need the money and he doesn't need, uh, uh, you know, the film to to up his his 
um, perception or his star or anything like that. No, he does not. Like he's he's almost probably doing this pro bono. Right. And Alex Winter, on the other hand, though, um, albeit he's a uh, documentary filmmaker himself these days, this is the only role that he's known for. And so he kind of like, and he's having a really fun time here. You can tell. Yeah, I'll be honest. Um, I felt like Keanu Reeves was sleepwalking through this thing. I don't think he's very good in it. Um, uh, yeah, there's not much he's he's given to do. True, true. But I, I just feel like he's not, he's, he seems like a shell of himself. He's not really embodying, There's it doesn't seem very um, Ted-esque to me. Mm. Whereas I think Alex Winter is one of the best things about the film. I think he's a lot of fun. You can tell that he's, he's not going to uh, squander this moment. And I feel like he's one of the three or four best things about the film. Um, I, I thought he was great in it, honestly. And you can tell he's making the most of this opportunity. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the other end. I like them both equally because, again, I don't think that either one of them are given a whole lot to do, but they just kind of run with it. And I get where you could think that Keanu's kind of just there, like, I'm here, let's do it. But he's just, there's just a genuineness to him, even when he's, kind of monotone but that's always been kind of his thing sure early on even when the matrix first came out i was like really this guy for this like he's kind of boring you know and he's not necessarily a great actor never has been but he's just so likable and such a good person you always want to get behind him um and in this movie it's just like yes in one sense it is a charity case that he's doing this but i don't think he's taking it for granted and um what they do together, it's fun to revisit. It just is, even though it's a very uh, 2020 updated version of their world. There's a lot of really dumb effects. There's some silly effects, but I think it was done on purpose in this movie. I think there's a lot of really good effects too, though. Like the 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 pods, the the time travel pods, mm-hmm. I think look really good. Like it's impressive. They look all right, yeah. Uh, yeah. The robot looks really fun and cool. He is a character who I'm torn on. Um, the actor who plays that character is somebody I really like. Anthony Carrigan. Yes, and I really love him. From in, Barry. In Barry. He's yes. one of the best parts of Barry. Yes. In this, there's a running joke about his name that kind of runs out of steam, in my opinion. Oh, really? <laughs> I think they just continue with it too long. D- Dennis Caleb McCoy. Yeah. They say it a lot. And uh, he says it a lot. Um, and and uh, <laughs> He makes the, other people say it too. There's a really <laughs> funny joke where um, Kristen Shaw's character finds out that that's his name and she's like, oh, really? Come on. You named him after my ex-boyfriend? <laughs> that's, a, that's a funny little bit. And he basically stalks her after that. <laughs> yeah, I, I know a lot of people think that the that uh, Kerrigan's character is the best part of the film. Yeah. I'm not willing to go quite that far, but he is a lot of fun. He's fun. The character does turn into something fun. Uh, there's there's other characters. Well, the returning character of Death, played by William Sadler, again, right. really wish they would have given him more to do, but he's he does loves get, playing this role. He does get at least one scene to really shine. He does. He does. And, I and wish he would have gotten a couple more. And it's one of Reeves's better scenes too. Was when they they have to go and beg him to come back and join the band. It's a very, his whole lair is really funny. Yeah, it is. Yeah, there's a lot of sight gags in this that that are mm-hmm. that are not exactly you know in the foreground of of the shot that mm-hmm. you really have to dig to kind of notice, but they're they're pretty funny. Yeah, and you know, so when the guys when Bill and Ted are going on their journey, 
the daughters are going in the past to find a band to back them. And it's, I mean, it's so much like the original Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, mm-hmm. where they're just scooping up people from the past and bringing them to the present. It's all really quick. It's really swift. Thing moves along really well. It's 91 minutes. Um, they don't really spend enough time, to be honest, with the daughters, I don't think, ever. No, so the two actresses that play the daughters, that yeah. is uh, Samara Weaving. Who we know from other things. Yeah. And I don't know much about Bridget Lundy Payne. She was really imitating the Ted thing almost far too much for me. See, and that I actually liked it. I liked her more, actually. I, I didn't. She was doing a better impression of Ted than Keanu Reeves was this time around. I've, See, I this thought. is why I liked Samara Weaving. She wasn't really doing an impression of Bill. Yeah, I thought she, she was, was just there. She just though. embodied him. Like, yeah, she was fine. I don't think she's great, but, but Bridget Lundy Payne is, it's like, you imagine this actress studying every mannerism of Ted and then like trying to do it to a T the entire movie. See, I really it's enjoyed distracting it. Distracting to me. Agree yeah. to disagree. Yeah. I mean, I love disagreements. Uh, this movie is, I don't know. I mean, it's full of a bunch of characters. You get Beck Bennett. He shows up as, uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, what do you even say here? We're both really big Beck Bennett yeah, fans. I love so Beck Bennett. That and was really nice. He, he's fine in this role. It's yeah. a Beck Bennett kind of role. Yeah, exactly. It's a, really nasty character who's like it's a really inappropriate <laughs> kind of relationship he's in um and then there's somebody who everyone else is talking about and I'm not sure why kid cuddy who is playing himself and I don't I don't really see anything to praise here he's fine he shows up and he's basically a rap star trying to act and at least he gets to play himself yeah and he's well, like hey I'm here guys cool he's been he's been doing a lot of acting lately and uh, and this is just the he's most okay, of, recent. Ex- yeah, he's fine. He's fine. Um, and then they they do pull some uh, some interesting people out of the past. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, Louis Armstrong. There's a scene with Jimi Hendrix and Mozart mm-hmm. that is a lot of fun. But um, one of the things that I did find was one of the weaker aspects of the film is the music, especially the third act. I felt like this film's got some third act problems, but like you're going to have those problems with, with most music related films, because one of the things that, that is difficult for music related films is buying into them in, in, in the capacity of, uh, um, you have to believe that like this song is important or this song is good for somebody to get famous in a fictional film about music. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of suspension of belief here with the, with the (laughs) closing, uh, 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 musical number and and everything that corresponds to it um having said that uh, i don't have any ideas as to how what they could have done better you know this this really sums up everything i think about the the trilogy i don't think i like the trilogy as much as you do the originals are just okay to me i like them enough and i like this movie enough it's not anything it doesn't go over the top for me comedically there's nothing laugh out loud funny to me about any of it but I'm always enjoying myself and that's right now I'll take something like that you know I like this film enough in the end even though yeah I agree there are third act problems but overall I enjoyed my time with this movie and so what are you giving it kind of a three that's exactly where I am as well it's a three it's one thing that we haven't mentioned yet but I feel like needs to be said is that this is 
it's another one of those examples of a film that really has its heart in the right place. Yes. It's all about positive vibes and being good and being nice and kind and positivity and love and, and all of that. And that currency can get exchanged a lot of different ways and it can go a long way to taking a film that's so-so and putting it just over the edge, which is exactly what it did with this. Yeah, film. there's there's a place for a movie like this right now, especially. It's just very good-spirited. It's a fun time for 90 minutes. We need something like that. I feel like that's probably why it is getting slightly better reviews than uh, across the board than what I think it necessarily deserves, and that's because I feel like a lot of people just really need something like this yeah. right now. And it I, hit at the right time. Yeah, I can't begrudge them for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well then, it's time for a break. When we come back, we are going to unveil our individual choices for the six best child performances of all time. If any of you were holding your breath to hear a nomination for Carmel, Indiana resident Jake Lloyd's riveting performance as young Anakin Skywalker, you'll have to wait at least 60 seconds to find out. Welcome back to the show. This week's Pick 6 revolves around one of the more interesting aspects of filmmaking to me, and that is the involvement of children in the creation of the art. Kids have been giving both riveting and revolting performances in films since the advent of motion pictures, and I've always found it fascinating to think about children taking their craft and their work as seriously as their adult co-stars, and how the adults feel about working with kids on the set. All of that sort of thing just fascinates me. So this week, we are ranking the six best child performances of all time. This is a really big, broad category, Mm -hmm. Um, and I found this far more difficult than I expected. Did did you run into similar issues? I mean, there were some that I was like, before I made the list and before I watched the movies this week, I was like, well, that's he or she is definitely going to make the list that never that did not make the list. So um, there were some surprises for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's just go ahead and dig in. What is number six on your list of the best child performances of all time, Andy? Number six on my list is, well, it's a performance from a movie I recently talked about on a very recent pick six. I'm trying to think of which one it was, but this performance is from then 11-year-old Elle Fanning, and this is Sofia Coppola's Somewhere performance in her film from 2010. Ooh. Um, I think this was for the hotel films. That's what it was for, yes. Mm. Yeah, so it wasn't, wasn't that long ago. So I recently talked about it. Don't need to go too far into it. But this is the first time I remember loving Elle Fanning in a movie. Um, She plays the daughter of a uh, very wealthy family. Um, Her her father is played by Stephen Dorff, who is a a semi... Well, he's not a successful actor anymore when we see him in this film, but he's garnered enough success and wealth where he can just kind of live freely and 
live in luxury hotels between film projects, even though his projects are not as great as they used to be. He's kind of living a, he's divorced and they split time between their, uh, the parental duties. And, um, when we see these characters, he's kind of living in excess from hotel to hotel and his ex-wife decides to drop off their daughter to his doorstep of the recent hotel he's been staying in and she disappears. And so he's stuck with his daughter and you kind of just live with these characters for a few days in this movie. And um, like I said before, this is a lost moment in Sofia Coppola's career. She had done Virgin Suicides, Lost in Translation and Marie Antoinette before this. This was kind of a big moment. And she decided to pull pull it back and be more restrained and make a minimal kind of movie. And so it got lost in the mix. But this is a movie that challenges Stephen Dorff and Elle Fanning. Stephen Dorff kind of like received a little, little bit of notoriety because he was playing his best role in, in a long time, most substantial role in a long time. And he's very good in this. But Elle Fanning is also equally as good as a daughter who decides to kind of like put a wrench in his, like put a fork in his road of his life at this moment. And um, what it does to both of them is fascinating to watch in this movie. And Elle Fanning proved to be far wiser beyond her years here. Um, Dakota Fanning was obviously a big, big attention getter for a really long time. But I think Elle Fanning has since shown that promise and surpassed the promise promise of her sister older sister and she's gone on to do a lot of great things but uh this is kind of the first thing i loved her in so it's number six for me it's so funny that you bring that up because i almost used my number six on dakota fanning Mm -hmm. um uh, specifically for her in i am sam but ultimately there were a lot of more worthy choices for that And, and and dakota fanning even she has a history of doing um of being the best part of some ho-hum films like I Am Sam and Man on Fire. Yeah. She she was excellent in her child days. She was. Um, and, and so I, it's good that, that she got brought up tangentially because of her sister because uh, I, I don't know if we can necessarily talk about this category without at least mentioning her briefly. Sure. Um, and the same can be said for the child that I have at number six, and cutesily enough, my number six choice is Haley Joel Osment in The Sixth Sense. We had to, we, you can't go without a, a pick six without, most pick sixes without talking about M. Night Shyamalan for you. That is not true. Yeah. That's, don't, don't give it the, sh- <laughs> the, 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 the Fincher treatment. It's um, getting there. It's getting there. Uh, this is a all-timer child performance. Obviously, this is, you know, one that, uh, uh, you immediately think of when you think about this category. And yet I feel like it's, it's also fitting and it's, it's deserved. He, he's terrific in this movie at, at such a young age. Um, and he carries so much of the film. Um, and you kind of, it kind of lives and dies by his performance because in order for that twist to actually pay off and work, um, you have to not be paying as much attention to Bruce Willis. Um, and so that you don't notice it. And in order to do that, you have to be paying extra attention and believe that this, this kid is pulling off this performance, which he does terrifically. Um, we don't need to go into it too much, but, uh, but I, I, I just think 
um, at 11 years old, that performance by Haley Joel Osment, um, he could have just, his, his star could have gone really, really high. And really, it never got any higher than that. He did pay it forward afterward and then kind of dropped off the table after that. But luckily, he's maintained a pretty steady career of doing, you know, character actors, doing a lot of comedy and stuff. Uh, and so he still gets plenty of work and he's still one of those, you know, one of those good guys. So Haley Joel Osment um, is a is royalty when it comes to child actors. And so he was number six on my list. Yeah, I mean, he's a classic case of that big moment early on that you could just never outlive and and just keep going and, and, and gain traction. He just, um, there's there's going to be a lot of those <laughs> on these lists, I have a feeling. So what's number five for you? Number five for me is um, not a case of someone who couldn't keep things going. In fact, this is someone who has only gotten better and better as she's gotten older, and that's Sorsha Ronan in Atonement. Um, Atonement's always been a film I've really admired. I don't love Joe Wright much at all outside of this film. Um, remember him, Remember when he tried to make that, when Jamie Foxx was really riding high from, from some Academy Award nominations and wins, and then Downey Jr. was kind of coming back big time. Yep. Remember this film? It's called The Soloist. The Soloist. It was supposed to be really good. I was uh, hyped for it. It's fine. It's okay. Yeah. It's like that film Rain Over Me with with Adam Sandler and Don Cheadle where they're, it's like, holy shit, Adam Sandler's doing the drama thing again and, and, and Don Cheadle's great and wonder what they're going to do together and it's Mike Binder coming off of Upside of Anger. It was like, okay, it was fine. Anyway, Joe Wright's been kind of like hit and miss for me, but Atonement kind of hit all the right notes. Um, it's a movie I've seen two or three times and it works on me every time. Sorcerer Ronan has a really challenging role in the film. Um, it's a movie full of performances that people love. People love Keira Knightley in most everything. And James McAvoy is pretty widely regarded as a good actor. I don't like either one of them very much, but they're both good in this. Um, but Sorcerer Ronan is, I think she's 13 in this film. And she has a role that is very kind of up front, like she's throughout, she's threaded throughout the entire movie. Um, and it's quite honestly very difficult for a, such a young actress. And she pulls it off with, uh, I mean, she doesn't really seem to miss a beat every step of the way. She's very natural. And you could tell even back then in 20 and 2007 that you're like, okay, I, I think this kid is probably going to be around for a long time. And you would have said that about some other actors that, are going to be on this list that didn't last, but uh, Ronan clearly has. Yeah, I think she got over the hump. She did, I think. I think she's going to be okay for a long time. <laughs> she's going to have quite a long career. Yeah, so yeah. I couldn't make this without her. That's that's number five for me. Yeah, that's she's another one of those that you almost have to consider um, a, a child acting royalty at this point because she was nominated at such a young age and she she kept it going. She did a number of really big performances at a young She's age. She's been well. nominated many times. Still never won. You and we'll I see. have been talking about this for over a decade about how one of these days she's going to win an Oscar. We thought it would happen, happen sooner than now, but... Uh, I know. What do we say? Who's going to get it first? Her or somebody similar to her age? Who oh, was I, it? I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't even remember who it was. Yeah, it was somebody very similar of age and came up at the same time. We'll, we'll come back to that. Yeah, somewhere. my money's still on her, no matter who yeah, that other yeah, person was. So. Yeah. Who's number five for you? 
number five for me is another one of we're, we're we're talking royalty still, and that is one that I I anticipate this being one of the only two chances I have at getting crossover on this list, and that is Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the reason Culkin gets on this list not just because uh, um, it seems like a foregone conclusion, but because you know, there's an acting adage and I'm going to butcher the hell out of it. So I'm only going to try and paraphrase. And that is that comedy is actually a lot more difficult than drama. And, um, not only is, is much of his work in home alone comedy, but he has to carry pretty much the entire film himself. I mean, there's long stretches where it's just him by, by himself with no other adult characters to bounce off of. It's just him. And he seemed like such a natural at such a young and early age. But I mean, he carries this whole film um, and it rests really on his tiny little blonde shoulders. And the kid is uh, almost virtuosic in his, in his comedic timing, in being able to really convey the, the, the sentimentality uh, that, that certain parts of the story require him to. Um, you really love the kid. Um, and yeah, he's precocious and mischievous and smarter than he ought to be. And maybe that's a fault in the script, but it's never, you never doubt it. You never don't believe it. Um, and that's because of the terrific performance that he gives in this movie. This is an all time child performance. It's iconic. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I think it's not a fault in the script because I think he just was too smart for his own age. Yeah. Naturally. I just think he always was. Um, everyone in that family, as far as the three male actors, yeah. all of those guys are special. Oh, yeah. Always have been. Glad to see that they're all succeeding today. You know, you know Macaulay is not really acting, but he's succeeding in other ways. The other two guys are having a really excellent run. Yeah, it's kind of bananas that like the that his younger brothers ended up having more longevity in their careers than Mac ever got. Well, he had the unfortunate... You know, Home Alone was probably, they never had that true at such a young age. So kind of typecast right away, like Haley Joel Osment. Yeah, kind of thing. Th- their stars never burned quite as bright and hot as his did. Therefore, yeah, burn out a little bit. The the flame out being far more drastic mm, as well. Yeah, That's true. Yeah. Those two guys, though, they 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 kind of saw, they kind of saw what they shouldn't do, I guess. Yeah. They're the direction they shouldn't go in. So since you're not right out of the gate saying, well, it's odd that you say that because number four on my list is I'm either assuming that you have this higher on your list, which I find hard to believe, or um, you didn't have Macaulay Culkin on your list. It's a crazy list. I don't know, but he's not number four on my list. Okay. I will keep that in mind. (laughs) I I definitely couldn't make this list without him. I understand. Totally. And and I I had to leave off. Well, we're going to. Unfortunately, we are going to have to talk at least briefly about some dis, some some people who didn't make the list, some honorable mentions. Mm. Um, but uh, I had to cut some room uh, to make to put him on the list. But it's a brutal. It's it's it, but, there um, was some brutal omissions. Yes, and this is the only comedic performance on my list. Okay, also, but uh, but yeah, he just man Mac forever, dude. Love him. I love him. Always love have. Him. Always will. Love Number four the for you. Trio. Number four for me. Is uh, one I would just when I was researching, I was like, oh yeah, uh, this is too important, too devastating, too great to not make this list, and that's the performance from young uh, Alexei Kravchenko in Come and See. Oh yeah. Um, oof. Wow, man. 
this is a movie we both love, I think. Yeah. Um, it is now 30, it's 30, 35 years old this year. Um, honestly feels older even. Um, it's a movie I've only seen once and because I don't know if I can watch ever again. Um, <laughs> it is a relentless piece of work. Uh, it is directed by L.M. Klimov. I've never seen another film this person has made, uh, but it's one of the all-time great films. It would be more in my, if I was ever to sit down and make a top whatever, 50 or 100 favorite movies, this would be on it. Yeah. Um, it is a pretty devastating portrayal of a just a young kid who has admirations to be, you know, serve in the military, you know, in the Soviet army. And he discovers a gun, you know, and picks it up and decides to kind of enter the trenches of the battlegrounds in World War II. Um, and he gets himself right in the mix of it. Um, he gets a lot more than he bargained for. Yeah, he does. And the way this movie portrays that is, whew, whew, man, it's a hard one. It's a hard one to watch. And this kid is entrancing. He's quite amazing in this. Um, I was looking him up recently and he, he's still around. He's still going strong. Yeah. He's, he's in a lot of films. And uh, this movie was his first movie. Uh, and he, I think he was, Oh, maybe 12 or 13 when he did this film. And um, he didn't act for about 10 years after this. It was like the only thing he did for a long time. But he's steadily, since the mid-90s, has been acting in a lot of things. But this is, uh, you remember the facial expressions. They're indented in your brain. Yeah. No matter if you've only seen it once, like 20 years ago, or, you know, if you've seen it a couple times, it's always going to stick with you. And... This movie, there are certain images, especially in the last like half an hour of it, that kind of just wreck me. And uh, it's hard for me to not have this kid's image of his face in my, you know, constant memory of movies, movie watching. And, and you know, uh, whenever I think of the great experiences I've had, it's this movie. The, the, the time I watched this movie, the time I set myself down and said, okay, now I'm going to watch this movie. I have to watch it. I have. I will never forget that moment. It's a really harrowing piece of work. Yeah, that that is the word to describe the viewing experience of this film. Is it is it is harrowing. It's gut wrenching, and you, I mean, much like him, you come out on the other side a, a little bit changed. Yeah, honestly. yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. movie was represented a, a moment of change for me as far as like how I even appreciate film. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable. Crazy, yeah. Uh, number four for me is one that uh, I'm sure you're not going to be surprised, and that is Cameron Bright in 2004's Birth by Jonathan Glazer. I will tell you this is number seven on my list. Oh, man, right? Yeah. That's I, I'm, hmm. So one of the interesting things about some of these films is you have these child performances, and they are alongside... Um, some pretty staggering adult performances as well. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can overshadow how good the child's performance is. And sometimes it only serves to elevate um, and amplify how good that child's performance is. And this is one of the latter. Um, Nicole Kidman is, this might be my favorite performance of hers of all time. Uh, yeah, I, th and, I would agree with that. And uh, um, 
and that it, they they I think they both play off of each other so well, and that's that's one of the in my intro that's one of the things I talked about is like is the dynamic between some of the 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 adult actors acting alongside with some of these children, and kind of you know seeing these kids that may or may not take their craft every bit as seriously as the adults, and how that can inform even their work. Um, and this this is uh, I think a. Uh, in my opinion, one of the really good examples of, of a case like that in which they play off of each other so well. And that's got to be so interesting as an adult to to have a, a, a young performer like that challenge you and, and make you better at your craft. And then you, in turn, get to extend that same opportunity to them. Um, Bright and Kidman together in the scenes that they share, and I'm not just talking about like the bathtub scene, you know, like the there's very, many good scenes with them. It, yeah. yeah, they're they're just, and you know, he does it. He does it in a way that that is that can seem a little one note at times because he's so well, stoic. That's the point of the character too. But but yeah, exactly. And then the more that the that the mystery involving the film starts to get unraveled a little more, you see that there's a lot more to not only his character, but to Cameron Bright's performance as well. Yeah. Um, and that that makes it even more interesting and it makes it makes the performance a little a little even more rewarding for me. Yeah. Yeah, I rewatched it this week for the first time in years. And Did I, you? I can't wait to rewatch rewarding. it. Um, he's an actor who, as I was watching it again, I was like, why didn't he amount to anything? I know, right? What is happening here? He's so, he has this so figured out from the beginning. Yeah. It's fascinating. There's a moment where he's getting confronted to not harass her anymore. And he's insisting that, no, I will not. I will not stand down. I'm going to continue to try to talk to her because there's, I need to, there's a reason I have to. And there's this, this really pointedness about him in those scenes that is, is amazing. There's yeah. a bravery, not just in the character, but in that performance as well. That's, mm-hmm. you know, I'm up here with, with, uh, uh, with Danny Houston and Nicole Kidman and, and Hayes is playing my mother and like, and, uh, Vanessa Redgrave, isn't she in it yeah. as well? Ted, yeah. Ted yeah. Levine, Ted yeah, Levine's yeah. in it. And too? like, I, I'm going to make sure that my presence is felt in this film. And it's, that's not something you get very often with no. actors that are this No, it's age. very impressive. He was 12 years old at the yeah, time. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're handing up medals now. All right, let's go. Let's go bronze. I'm, I'm thrilled that we've gotten this high. Bronze for me is uh, <clears throat> a performance by an actor who I have been a huge fan of, probably the biggest fan of, of anyone you know, at least, since he started. And that is the performance from Ty Sheridan in Mud. Um, this is this is Ty Sheridan coming off of the Tree of Life, um, where he didn't get a lot to do other than, you know, kind of physically he was there. Who, who gets a lot to do in a Terrence Malick film usually? Yeah, I'm anyway. trying to think. <laughs> uh, maybe Linda Manns in that's Days a, of uh, Heaven. That's about it. <laughs> Sissy yeah. Spacek in Badlands. Early yeah. on, he gave people something true, to do. In true. the 70s, he was like, yeah. okay, here's some dialogue. Not in this century, though. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but um, what Ty Sheridan does in mud is kind of uh you know in the middle of the McConaissance, this is happening when matthew mcconaughey was everywhere doing nothing but great things i think he's the soul of the movie he's the heart and soul of the movie even though every time you see advertisements or trailers for mud it's all the matthew mcconaughey movie um but it's ty sheridan's movie and he's again like you just mentioned with Cameron Bright. He's amongst 
a lot of people, a lot of great actors. Oh, he's yeah. amongst not just Matthew McConaughey, he's amongst uh, Sarah Paulson and Michael Shannon and Sam Shepard and Ray McKinnon and Reese Witherspoon and Paul Sparks, all sorts of great people. And he's, but he's being directed by kind of a, a pseudo Malik student in, in Jeff Nichols. I think, I think you could say that Jeff Nichols and David Gordon Green are both came up kind of like the next generation of the Malikian kind of directors. Yeah. The similarities are very, very there. They're, they're both um, Midwestern or Southern or South Midwestern or whatever you want to call it. That, that, that aesthetic that you get regardless of the geographics Mm -hmm, of it, mm -hmm. that, that Malik definitely still has inherent. Yeah. And in the first films from Nichols and Gordon Green were very much of like, wow, George Washington looked very Malikian. Mm-hmm. And then there was shotgun stories, which kind of evoked a lot of that as well. And they've kind of since found their own voices uh, in very different ways. But um, I love what Ty Sheridan does here. Um, he's not just giving you a, um, an acceptable child performance where you're like, okay, he holds his own there. He actually is very engaging and he's very kind of like, oh, okay, this guy is very mature and he's actually moving the story along. He's actually putting it on his shoulders instead of just being in the film, a part of the film. He's actually puts this on his shoulders and says, okay, come with me. Let's tell this story through me. And he's... He's, he's, he's still around. He's still doing a lot of stuff. He's not really, it's still, um, the jury's still out on Ty Sheridan, I guess I'll say, but I still have high hopes for him. And this is where it kind of began. So this is, uh, had to be pretty high for me. Yeah. I feel like with this performance, there's also, there's an element of like ultra authenticity from him that you don't get from a lot of other child performances, even Mm -hmm. some of the child performances that we've talked about so far. Like, Mm. like you, he's, he feels like a real actual kid. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I agree. Like yes. not an actor, mm-hmm. even though he has the chops and the look and all of it. He, it's there's this authenticity that's that's inherent that is not teachable, that is not coachable, and he just has it. Yeah, I agree. You know? That's and, a very good point. And in this film, it's it's on extra full display. This is still the best I think he's ever been, but um, dude's got a long way to go. Um. Speaking of child acting royalty, uh, you know, we talked early on about how, you know, a lot of these people, they, they, their star shines really, really bright, bright when they're young and then it fades out and then you never hear from them again. Um, I wanted to make sure that I mentioned that about my next pick and also lament the fact that this is the only female performance on my list. Um, I, I wanted to include more, but I just, I wanted to make this completely a meritocracy and I'll explain why on a couple of others that missed off on the list, but I wasn't able to make this list without Jodie Foster's performance in Taxi Driver. She's electric in it. Not only is she electric in it, but talk about sharing scenes with and holding your own with legends. There's nothing but legends in this film. Exactly. And she shines in it. I mean, she really shines in it. It's super authentic. You you believe her, and it's not just her line delivery. It's the way it's the way she looks around the room, 
um, the way normal people would look around a room if they were having a conversation, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. She does that really, really well. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's non-verbal acting that she had down at a really early age. She was 12 years old, man. Stunning. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's blows my mind, honestly. Um, she's tremendous in this. She's tremendous in this. And it's such a, such a difficult part. It's such a, I mean, we're talking some really adult themes. If Cameron Bright was dealing with adult themes in his film, Nothing this like makes this. that look like child's play mm-hmm. uh, because she's she's phenomenal yeah. in this. Just and for see her scenes alone with Harvey Keitel. I mean, yeah, exactly, oof. exactly. Rough. But but then you get like the diner scene with with her and, and De Niro, and mm-hmm. you know, and and it's a whole different dynamic. She's mm-hmm. able to do. There's a lot of nuance to her performance in this, and you could tell that she had the ability to become a star later on. It's just. You know, you wouldn't bet on any of that because we you, you could lose a lot of money betting on these kids, you know, to have longevity in their yeah. careers. And it's stunning that she made it work and lasted as long as she has. She would have been a great one to double down on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You'd you'd uh, you'd have a lot of money in the bank at this point yeah. if you if you just put a few bucks down on her back when she was twelve years old. Stunning. Yeah. In, the, in in taxi driver, she's she's remarkable. One of it. the big, big moments in American cinema right there. Yeah. 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 So that's number three for okay. me. What's number two for you? What's silver? Silver. Silver for me is a is much like um, the experience I had with Come and See, which I talked about at number four. This is one of those where it's just an actor who I had never seen before, and I would never see again because essentially they're not actors at this time, at least. This person was never a professional actor, and in fact, he kind of played himself in this movie and then died not too long after. And this is um, a movie that has really stuck with me hardcore for years now. And that's um, the performance by Fernando Ramos uh, da Silva in uh, 1981's Pijote. Um, This is a movie about essentially orphans who in, in Sao Paulo, Brazil, who are, left alone and left with other orphans to kind of form their own families and criminal families who have no other way to survive other than to steal and quite honestly kill and um and do other really really terrible things to to people just to survive uh and this this kid in this movie is 11 years old uh and he's essentially he was chosen by the director Hector Babenka, who we actually just recently talked about for um, Ironweed about a month or two ago. And um, he did this. This is, this is that director's uh, this is before he broke into American cinema. Uh, I think before he made Ironweed, he made kiss of the spider woman, which got William hurt an Oscar um, but before he came into America, he made this film, which uh, is very, very difficult to watch. A lot of, in a lot of ways, like Come and See, although it's not a necessarily a uh, a war film, it is a a similarly terrifying experience to sit through and watch people who, who of an age should never see things like this have to experience. Uh, it's when you read more into uh, De Silva's life, uh, you realize that Babenko chose him off the streets for a reason. He 
basically was doing these things that he does in this film. Really? And then after this film, you know, experienced the rollout of it, went to the premiere and then went right back into this life and died at gunpoint, you know, a few years later. Uh, he was 19 years old when he died. Um, oh. It's a fascinating story. It's devastating. Um, I think it really is something I think that the next throwback we do where we trade off throwbacks, yeah. I think I have to give you this because I really uh, want to know what you think of this film. Yeah, it sounds like I wouldn't blame you. Cause and it's currently on Criterion for the Martin Scorsese, uh, like World Cinema Project channel. Yeah, yeah. Collection I've thing. seen those. Yeah. Yeah. It's one he handpicked. And I totally understand why. This is uh, another one, like I've mentioned in the past, that I've found at the like random library scouring of foreign films. Um, I'm super happy I've seen it. I don't know if I'll watch it again because it really is really hard to watch. Yeah. It sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I look forward to that. And I feel like in the next month or so, we're going to have another one of those throwback yeah, challenges. Absolutely. So that's you're going to know that's coming. That's yeah, coming. That's fine. I'll survive. Because <laughs> um, you know the transporter's coming. I just so mean, it won't, it won't be a surprise. That's what you're getting next. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'll get the transporter. That's fine. Well, what a great double bill that <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> um, <laughs> number two on my list is the most recent film uh, of these. And another one that you should have absolutely no surprise that it is here, and that is Noah Jupe in Honey Boy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talked about this film last year, um, I, uh, boy, I, I, I discussed how visceral a re- reaction I had to the yes, film. Yes, you did. And one of the reasons I had such a visceral reaction of bawling my eyes out in my seat was because of Noah Jupe's performance. I said at that time, that I thought it was one of the best performances of the year by anyone, regardless of their age. And um, I still, having seen it a second time, I'm doubling down on that and saying it's one of the absolute best child performances I've ever seen by anyone. There's only one that I feel that bests it. Um, what he does here, and I think one thing that adds to the uh, degree of difficulty for this is that he's playing a character and the scenes in which he's playing this character, his co-star, is the real-life person who is that character. Yeah, yeah. that's an added, um, added little bit of a. Uh... I, I haven't done my research, but I would assume I wouldn't be surprised to find that that's one of, if not the first time, that someone's had to do that. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I would, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, yeah, probably is. But I mean, you might dig up something but not many and that's got to be really difficult yeah um yeah but man he pulls it off really really well he's he's fun in it and he has this childlike wonder and whimsy and all of that but then man the the emotional stuff and i'm not talking about just like the the um the tear jerking moments i'm talking about like the really like tough stuff the real meat of like the 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 guts and the fatty tissue of this film. I mean, when he's getting berated and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so believable, so believable that you feel like, was that kid emotionally abused on the set of this film? And then you find out in interviews and you, you know, from him that no, he had nothing but a blast working on this film. Um, man, I, this is one of those kids that it, he's still a kid. He's what? 15 right now. Cause he was, thir- he was 13, 13 when he made, when the they film. made this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
he, uh, you have to think, uh, I'd be willing to put some money down on him. I'm, yeah, I'm, I might be willing to put some money down. Probably not a bad call. It's I would because say. he's got serious chops. He's a cute little kid who, you know, I mean, you would have said the same thing about Haley Joel Osment. Look how he turned out. It's like, a toss up. It really is. It's, it's you such never a, know. It's, it, puberty is such a gamble, man. But, mm-hmm. um, uh, just based on talent alone, I'd be willing to at least put a few bucks down on FanDuel or whatever for this kid. I think because, he's going to be okay. Um, this performance is just a, it, it, it absolutely floored me at the time. And it's not the kind of film that I can re- rewatch very often, but um, I'm going to remember this performance for quite a while, let alone just, well, I'm just it, as like I mentioned last year, just performances in, in general. Um, let alone child performances. This thing yeah. is you were absolutely blown special. away by this. Yeah, I, I love I love that performance and I love this film. So, Honey Boy at number two. All right, let's start crowning kings and queens here. This was my number one from the beginning before I even made the list. Before I watched anything, rewatched anything, it was going to be number one. Uh, this is a movie that has really stuck with me time and time again. I've managed to watch it maybe three or four times throughout the years. Discovered it very early on. uh, And it's still a movie that's not available very much. And it also gives me a chance to really give a tribute to Linda Manns. And this is uh, Dennis Hopper's film from 1980, Out of the Blue. Uh, This is a movie, like you just mentioned with Noah Jupe, you kind of worry, like, did this person have physical and emotional trauma while making this movie? Well, she might have. While making this movie, because she didn't do anything after this really much at all. Uh, And you can kind of see why. Uh, This movie is hard. It is difficult. Dennis Hopper demands a lot of his actors in this movie. And there's no light at the end of the tunnel. This is not a movie where you simply put on to go, oh, let's let's see a really, you know, strong, dark drama, but... Maybe there's going to be a nice little wrap-up wrap up Hollywood ending. No, that doesn't happen. Yeah, yet. just a coming-of-age tale. So she plays... She's coming right off of Terrence Malick's Days of Heaven, which, you know, she got some attention for, and she was excellent, and I almost considered her for that on this list. Um, but this is the performance of her career. Uh, she plays a very young girl, uh, actually 14, and um, she really is kind of alone. Her mother's around, but her mother is also a drug addict who goes from dude to dude and kind of leaves her to her own devices. Her dad is a, you know, at the beginning of the film, he's in jail. Later on, he, he, be, he becomes a part of her life again in a very detrimental way. And that's, he's played by Dennis Hopper himself. Uh, but this movie, quite honestly, just f- puts you in the point of view of Linda Manz's character. And you follow her the entire way. It's, it's, a, it's a movie that's always really connected closely to me for some reason. Um, there is a lot of late 70s era Neil Young music, which I'm very connected with. And the performance here is just an all-timer for me. It's it's still one that's kind of lost in the uh, realm of of the world of the cinematic world. No one really mentions it. It's not really talked about. Dennis Hopper's career, you know, directorial wise, he's known for Easy Rider, and that's about it. No one talks about this, but I think this is by far his best film. And Linda Manns 
uh, is more than capable of holding her own here. She died at 58 just about two weeks ago. Uh, so, yeah. Rest in peace, Linda Manns. And this is uh, this movie's 40 years old this year. Wow. This is, this is one that very early on, when we really got into talking about film together, as far as our friendship is concerned, mm. this is one that, that you were like, you got to see this. And you let me, you let me borrow it on like a shitty DVD. Like it's all there is. I mean, it, it's this, exa- this movie is exactly. I, I, I bought that online, some random site. It's not even an official copy. The sh- it was a shitty menu. Yeah. I mean, there was like not even scene selections. But yeah, I, I I pretty much demanded all of my friends at the time watch it. That yeah, was yeah. all of at least 15 years ago. Oh, yeah. At least. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this movie, I don't know what it is, man. Always stuck with me. Always. It's a great performance. It is. Yeah. Um, much like you, number one on my list was number one the entire time. And I thought about putting some other people on this list, but I couldn't. And it also happens to be the only crossover we have on the list. Mm. And that is uh, Alexei Kripchenko in Good. Come and See. Good. What a, what a harrowing performance. Like, it's, it's the only foreign language performance on my list. And it, it doesn't matter that I don't speak Russian because it's all there in, in his face. Not a lot of dialogue the, anyway. The, yeah. the, 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 f- the child that you see at the beginning of the film is a totally different person by he's the end lost. of the film. Yeah. He has seen some stuff. He's been in the soup. He is, he is forever changed. And that's what makes this one of the great anti-war films of all time is because if after watching this film, you don't feel so very strongly uh, about certain <laughs> certain political and not even political things uh, uh, that have to do with our world um, that I don't know what to tell you because this kid is this character is a shell of himself afterward he's got gray hair he's I mean he he witnesses absolutely horrific things and what's funny is that like it's not a particularly like gory film no not really necessarily it's just like there are atrocities that happen both on and off screen that um and you're seeing it all through the eyes of this one character. You know, one of the reasons that I uh, that I put Macaulay Culkin on this list is because he has to carry long stretches of this of that film by himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about carrying a film. Kravchenko is is this film? You know, he is. I mean, he is he's in every frame of the movie. You're you as the audience are witnessing this through his perspective when you see villages burned and and villagers being burned alive in their huts it's because he's seeing it you're seeing everything through his vantage point absolutely yeah um and it's it's taxing it's actually like taxing to get through it which is why i've only watched it once and and i don't think i can ever watch it i'll watch it again one of these days but like it's gonna be a long time i'm not in a fucking hurry no um but it's a remarkable film. And like you said, if we're making a top 100 films of it's all time, it, it's it's on the list. It's on the list. Um, if we're making a top 10 war films ever made, it's on it's that on the list. list. And it's probably really high. It's like, in top five. It's, yeah. man, this it's is something. Man. This is something. And it it's, is a perfect film. And as far as like child performances go, like, I mean, 
I wouldn't have thought that a child could be could be capable of this. And I realized that it's just Russian kids that can do this. <laughs> <It's> right? <laughs> they have they have a, a they have metal within them that uh, we don't have here in the United States. Uh, yeah, they're a little internally stronger. Yeah. Let's talk really quick about some people that didn't make the list. I, I, I mentioned a little bit ago that um, that there was only one female performance on my list, mm-hmm. and I and I had a I have a, a short list of some others that came really really close. Um, that I, I I do want to mention really fast, and and that is um, Linda Blair from The Exorcist. Oh yes, yes. Uh, I didn't. I d- I left her off, and and I want to explain why. I, her performance is truly terrific, but um, I, I I docked it a couple of points because once she becomes possessed, um, the vast majority of her dialogue was dubbed by an uncredited character actress named Mercedes McCambridge. And well, so I, I did kind of dock, dock her a little bit for that. It's the type of performance, albeit great, is also other, if you put any other child in that performance, it probably wouldn't have changed the overall greatness of the movie, I don't think. True. I think she's really good in it. Yeah. But yes, I agree. That's why I didn't have her on my list. Yeah. Um, Keisha Castle-Hughes Very from close. From Whale Rider. I don't, th- I think I'd probably be sleeping on the couch if I didn't at least mention her. She's great. Because my girlfriend is obsessed with that film. Well, she she makes the movie better. Too. Um, I had a couple of first time watches this week, and one of them was the piano, mm-hmm. in which, um, you know, Anna Paquin is not an actor that you and I particularly care for. No, um, and I don't mean this as a slight to her, but I think this is the best performance she's ever given. She's good in it. She's really good in it. It's but just, Holly Hunter is very good in exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. And, and you see Holly Hunter yeah. in that as the best part of it. Well, Sam Neill's great in it. Harvey Keitel is absolutely terrifying in it. He's amazing. Yeah. Um, I, my number seven on my list was Elsie Fisher from Eighth Grade. Oh, you did watch it. Okay. I watched it last night. And we both absolutely loved it. It's, it's a great film. It's a fantastic movie. And she's really, really excellent in it. I know a lot of people could argue that, um, well, she's kind of playing just a version of herself. Um, mm. There's some stuff in this film that even if it is based on your own life, it would be tough to reenact that with a camera rolling, with a crew she of people. She handles herself so well. She's incredible in the movie. Yeah. And, and it, you know, I'm sure you're surprised it's not on my list. Yeah, I was shocked. I love the movie a little bit more than the performance. Overall, the movie together as a whole sure. works so well for me. Josh Hamilton as her father, excellent in the film. A couple other ladies I had to leave off. Um, Natalie Portman and Leon, mm-hmm. the professional. Great performance. Didn't quite make my list. And then... Um, uh, well, that's that's the last one, and then I also wanted to mention um, Jacob Tremblay in Room. I almost, oh, sure, yeah, he was on my short list. He just didn't quite make it on here. That's um, a that's a pretty terrific a kid performance for me. Just misses uh, Rory Culkin and You Can Count on Me. Tough, tough role. Yeah, I considered that. some tough, tough actors to work alongside. Oh yeah, um, that and let's see what else. I'm sure you're surprised Macaulay didn't make my list. I mean, you probably are there. I'm surprised um, Macaulay didn't make your list and Jodie Foster didn't make your list. I'm mm. shocked that the only crossover we had was Come and See. And it was the very end we had it. I didn't know we were going to have any at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Drew, I will have to give one shout out to Drew Barrymore, not for E.T., but for this film she did called Irreconcilable Differences with Shelley Long and Ryan O'Neill, of all people, who I can't believe neither one of us has talked about Tatum O'Neill. 
<laughs> at all. Did you watch Paper Moon? Um, I watched clips from it. <laughs> I watched it. Because I couldn't fit it in. She's really good in it, but like everybody that I just mentioned is considerably better than she I is. I agree. But she shows up in almost all lists. Well, because she is the the, the original the record holder. She is the record holder. One of the originals still, too of great yeah. child performances. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Other than Shirley Temple and everything. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. Uh we've gone quite long. Yeah. Well, um, no crossover, but but the very end. Yeah. We've gone quite long and we still have a throwback to get to. Yeah, we do. Um, so let's dig right in. Uh our throwback this this week is from nineteen fifty-three, and that is uh Yasajiro Ozu's Tokyo story. It's a big one. This is a big one. This is one we've been meaning to watch for quite some time, and we finally got to cross it off the list. Another part of 20 years I've been trying to watch this movie. Um and like I don't necessarily want to rush through it but having said that it's a pretty simple film it is but i think that's one of the beautiful things about it absolutely um you can clearly see where he's influenced a lot of other artists since then one that comes to mind immediately is Koganata. um columbus the way columbus is shot um the most recent uh 2017 film that we both love we've both talked about on this a long time uh many episodes <laughs> we've mentioned it the way that each shot by Ozu in this film is constructed and clearly labored over where, where even some of the set pieces are clearly designed to be in certain spots. Yeah. It's architectural in the way that Koganada made every sequence of Columbus clearly an ode to Ozu here. Yeah. And I mean, enough of an ode to Ozu that I, I messaged you a screenshot recently that, that said that that's where Koganada got his name is by the screenwriter of Tokyo story and, and many of other Ozu films. Kogo Nada. Kogo Nada is the co-writer of this film with Ozu. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's, it, that is a definite influence, but like, I mean, I, because it's 1953 and because he was so influential, I mean, you could kind of go down the list and name guys that this reminds you a lot of. Stunning. I, I felt a lot of link ladder vibes at times when sure. I was watching this too. Um, and it's a pretty simple story. It's an elderly couple who go from their seaside town that they live in. They travel to Tokyo to visit their adult son and his family and their adult daughter and her family. And they are just far too busy to, to, to look after them. It's not like they're bad people. They love their parents. They're just too busy and they don't. The importance of family and caring for their loved ones isn't like an immediate thought for them, you know? Yeah. They're, they're too concerned with their own lives. Yes. And the only person that it is an immediate thought for is their daughter-in-law um, who was married to their son who died in a, in World War II. Eight years prior to this yeah. moment, yes. And so she, she's been a widow for eight years at this point. And she still, you know, treats them with, with such kindness and takes them on a tour of the city and um, and really, really, like, is very loving and gracious towards them. Whereas their other kids, they're not, they're not dicks or anything, but they don't even seem necessarily, like, really loving either. Like... Yeah, because it's not often that they get to even see their parents these days because they live a very long ways away. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, and that's kind of the crux of the film. And then, and then, you know, they, they, they their kids buy them, um, a stay at like a, a fancy resort spa that's, you know, a few towns away and it's just not their speed. And they come back and the kids are kind of disappointed that they came back because they have their own lives and they're kind of ushering their parents out of town. Mm -hmm. And then I don't want to give too much away because, I mean, I know this is a film that's, 
it's nearly 70, 70, years, 70 old. years old but uh um you know but that but it is kind of criminally underwatched so uh, uh, I, I'm, by by a majority of people but i think that anyone who's very into film would say this is one of the great greatest pieces of art of the last 70 some years you know it's it's widely regarded it's on a lot of lists of the greatest films ever made um for good reason i would say without giving too much away i i'll say that um both you and I no longer have our fathers, but we both have our mothers. Did this film make you want to hug your mom? Uh, this movie really connected to me on a, on a deep level. Yes. Don't, don't say I want to, I won't say I wanted to rush out and hug my mom, but um, I was very, very deeply affected by this movie. Yeah, yes. me too. Um, especially because it very much still seems so relevant uh, to even more so watching it today, I would say seeing it now instead of seeing it 20 years ago, it's probably even more beneficial for the first time because the way that we are so caught up in everything today, we are so locked into our phone screens and our computer screens and our lives just inside technology. Um, you realize that you kind of like dismiss that, part of your life so often the 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 familial part of your life and you know maybe you, you know you're the generation before you your mother or your father value that more because that's what they lived with more and you just don't understand it because you moved past it the generational thing of this movie is kind of amazing to watch um it's a really wise piece of work i love the observational cinematography uh, the camera never moves. It's very, it knows where it needs to be. It frames the shot and it stays there. Sometimes it lingers after someone leaves. Sometimes it it's there before someone yeah. comes in. That that I almost felt was even more important. The fact that he places it in certain places before people come into the frame mm -hmm. or before the majority of the people come into the frame. And like, it, despite the fact that the camera never moves, it still gives the illusion of movement because things are moving in and out between it. And it seems almost a step of, ahead of its actors. There's a, there's a certain scene where people are entering a home and the camera is already sitting in there from a long hallway and people start to enter in through this long hallway. It's incredible. And then they start to move out of frame as others are coming in and you end up getting to see each and every person as they come in, but it doesn't feel staged and it doesn't no. feel like it's, it's really brilliant. And I got to thinking about how, you know, um, Japanese culture in general, um, puts such a premium on, um, precision and purpose and, uh, uh craftsmanship, um, regardless of the task that you're performing. Mm -hmm. And I had to think about like at this time, uh, someone who was making art like cinema, like Ozu had to be diligently thinking about something like that. And like, where is my camera? What is the purpose of my camera being where it is that sort of thing. And like, there's probably even more meaning behind some of these shots than even we can imagine. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that just adds to its brilliance and its allure. Yeah, it's fascinating. Every single scene, there's so much detail and care in every moment of this movie. And that's, we haven't even gotten into the relationship between the main couple of this movie. We don't have to dig too far into it because that would be, again, you know, for people who have never seen this, giving a lot, a lot too much away. Yeah. But man, what they do there and 
some of the unspoken things throughout an entire lifetime that are never said and then thought about after things happen. You know, it's it's, it's amazing. It's, it's a really an amazing piece of work. It's a really beautiful it's film. A great film. I I would say. I found it near perfect. I'm at a four and a half on this film. So am I. And and uh, one thing I wanted to note was in 2012, it was bo- voted by a, um, in a poll of film directors at Sight and Sound Magazine, it was voted the best film of all time. Wow. So directors love this movie. I see why. I can see why. And when you mentioned Linklater, I was thinking, yeah, there's specific moments where there's shots of train, shots of the city, very, you know, shots that remind you of before sunrise. Yeah, and especially like when they're out visiting, when she's giving them their tour of Tokyo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and just some of the really conversational stuff. There's the bar scene when the dad oh, is getting drunk scene. with his great buddies. Scene. You know what I mean? Like that felt you so that very... That moment to dig into his past, that flint, fleeting moment right there. Yeah, there's amazing. just, there's so much unpacked. This is a movie I, I, I'm embarrassed that it took me so long to watch it but so, i also am appreciative of it like you said mm-hmm. and i can't wait to see other things that i unpack in subsequent rewatches because i'll be watching this again throughout, well that and throughout just my digging life. into his career more now oh dude, you better because you have to you start leave it yeah yeah it's a perfect jumping off point. yes it's incredible i'm glad we watched this me too well that's our show for today remember to subscribe to the film harmonic on apple podcasts leave us a review and a generous rating if you're so inclined subscribe also on spotify google play and wherever else you happen to get your podcasts send your suggestions for the throwback challenge to the film harmonic at gmail.com we will be back next week with two count them two new movies and they're both doozies christopher nolan's tenant is finally here and charlie kaufman's i'm thinking of ending things hits netflix that's so we will be we, we will be watching um charlie kaufman's long-awaited i'm thinking of ending things in the safety and comfort of our own homes mm-hmm. and then you and i will be going to the movie theater together brave it. for the first it. time in months uh, for one of, if not the only film that I can think of that could have gotten us to do this. We have to, right? We're going to brave it. We'll uh, see. I am thrilled for next week. I cannot wait. Cannot wait. Yeah. Two of our favorite filmmakers. Well, one writer mostly, but yes, that's going to be awesome. And in our pick six segment, we head down a most joyous path as we attempt to rank our choices for the six best mockumentaries of all time. Going to be a little palate cleanser after taking in two heady new big films. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, it, we, we kind of saw it as kind of a, um, as kind of a, a, I don't know, kind of a throwaway category. And then we started looking at the category and we were like, it's fun. We were like, holy shit, this is actually kind of a big yeah, deal. It's not just talking about Christopher Guest the whole time. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, he will guaranteed to make a spot. If not, mm-hmm. the question really is how, how many, many, how many spots does he get? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many, how many spots does we'll he see. get? That's exciting. Yeah. And then for our throwback challenge, we chose that we, we decided we we're going to honor the recent and tragic passing of Chadwick Boseman by crossing off one of his films off of our watch list. Uh, Andy and I will both dig into uh, first time viewings of the James Brown biopic, get on up from 2014 directed by Tate Taylor um, we, we mentioned at the onset of the show that, that neither of us had seen much from him. I've seen uh, Defy Bloods, Draft Day, and then the Marvel films in which he plays Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it for me. Yeah, and I've seen uh, 42, the Jackie Robinson movie as well. So and, not yeah. a lot. But yeah, of course, I've seen yeah. Black Panther and 
and uh, Defy Bloods as but, well. But you skipped draft day, right? Skip draft day, even though I love <laughs> Kevin Costner also. I don't know, man. I don't know. Maybe I'll get to it someday. Probably not. But I will watch Get On Up this week. I'm, I'm looking forward to yeah. it, not only because Chadwick Boseman was you know, a very charismatic and talented actor, but also um, I'm a really big fan of the music of James Brown. So. Sure. I like yeah. him as well. This should be a lot of fun, and I've heard some good things about it. Should be so. a good episode. That uh, should be a very good episode. This is... Uh, an eclectic list that we have for you guys for episode 65. Thank you for listening to episode 64 and we will see you next time on the film harmonic. Substitute.